Hi, I'm Renee Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. Make sure that you like and subscribe to our weekly sermons so that you don't miss what is happening here at Bethel Austin. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. And most of all, we pray that you would have an encounter with the living God today. It's, it's lovely to be here this morning. What an honor, what a privilege to be able to share my story with you guys. But uh, last night I, I did something, I gave one of the books for free, but uh, nothing is really for free. So uh, I said, you know, being a, a Muslim background and I love craziness, so I want to give it to the craziest person with the craziest hallelujah. So the loudest hallelujah gets this. That was it. That was it. Come. That was wonderful. <laughs> but many of you don't know that sound. That sound is a sound of women celebrating in the weddings. It's Jesus' wedding. <laughs> and we are the bride, huh? So I want to I share with you a little bit of my background, uh, and I want to share with you a little bit of my story. There are some of the stories that I'm not going to share that is in the book. The yeah, book is an easy read. Uh, so, but I, I have been praying, and I'm trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, so I'm sharing parts of my stories that I feel may be a blessing to your journey in this season, in this moment. And I felt... Uh, the Lord is saying, hey, we should be sensitive with the times that we are in because it's a critical moment. So, um, so that you know who I am, I, I was born in the southern part of Iran and uh, to a Muslim family, not a regular one. Uh, my uh, father was actually part of the, the revolutionists that brought uh, Ayatollah Khomeini to power. Uh, in 1979, my uh, grandfather was a Muslim leader. He built mosques and orphanages. I uh, grew up always hearing this, that I owe everything to Allah. Because when I was very, very young, I had gotten sick and they said he's going to die. And so uh, they prayed for me and they dedicated me to the eighth imam of the Shia Islam, if I would get healed. And I got healed, so uh, they did not shave my head for the first five years of my life. And then at uh, five, they took me to uh, Mashhad, the holy city. They shaved my hair, and they gave it, and they gave equal to the weight of my hair gold as a respect. And they dedicated me to serve the Islam uh, at the age of, of five. So, um, but I was reminded all the times of these things. And during my childhood, you know, I, I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. A lot of crazy things. I was a young boy, you know, and uh, most of them were my mother's fault because she would give me just bad ideas, you know. She would like, hey, don't climb the wall. I hadn't even seen the wall till she pointed it out. And then I couldn't stop thinking about climbing the wall. And then she would wonder why I keep getting hurt, you know. But in all of the things that happened to me, just 
every single time before I would get an accident or I would get hurt, I would see the silhouette of a man standing in the far and he's watching over me. And I had no idea who this is, but I knew he protects me. And I spoke of him openly. And my grandfather says, that's Imam Ali. I said, but uh, the teachings and the history of Islam says that Imam Ali is short. This guy is tall. <laughs> and so he says, yeah, but he is, because he's in the spirit, he looks taller. I said, okay, you know, my grandfather says that I believe it. So, uh, but during that, I felt indebted to Allah and felt indebted to Islam. And I always wanted to, to, to serve him, to pay back, you know. And so uh, at some point, you become a young man and you need to pray. So um, when I started to pray, I was like, okay, I'm praying all the prayers, but it's not enough. It's not enough. I want to do more because I owe so much to Allah. And so I fasted. No, it's not enough. I got to do more. I started reading the Quran. You know, the Quran is 114 books. And I would read it once every 10 days, cover to cover. And he was like, no, that's not enough. He deserves more, you know. And so I thought, oh, that's not good enough. So I joined Hezbollah. How many of you know Hezbollah? Okay, yeah. So that's, that's the, the, friend, the, the friends of Israel and the Lebanese side. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, Hezbollah means actually the party of Allah. And uh, it, is, uh, it is started in Iran. And they have sections in different places. And I was serving in Iran. So I was 12 and a half when I joined the army. I felt that's not enough. He saved my life. So I uh, volunteered to walk on landmines. And I wanted to die for Allah. And on the way uh, to the front line, my father found out and you had to be at minimum 15. So I did not qualify. They pulled me down from the bus because I had forged my father's signature and everything said that I'm 15. So, and uh, when coming back, I was really disappointed. And they pulled me, one of the leaders pulled me aside and said, you're willing to die, will you be willing to kill? I said, of course, that's much easier than dying, you know? Somebody else is paying the price. So I joined the section that, uh, of army that took people and hung people in the public place. And that's what I was doing at the age 15. And so um, the first time I saw a man die, something died in me. Watching someone give life, hanging from a rope, kill something in you. And then after that, I just began to uh, time them. Like say, oh, you know, amongst the four, which one dies first? You know, bet. So uh, um, then I was like, ah, this is not... This is not enough. I need to do more for Allah. My grandfather came up and says, you know, I want you to go to the United States and preach the Islam to these poor misled Christians. And I thought, okay, now that's something good. And so for that reason, I came out of Iran in 1987. I went to Pakistan. I was there for two and a half years. I was involved with the Shias. 
but uh, I studied about Sunnah, the other sect of Islam. And then uh, I acquired some 30 illegal passports. I traveled with those to Malaysia. And yesterday I met a sister here from Kuala Lumpur. I said, oh, I was in PJ. And PJ is a nice area in Kuala Lumpur. She says, I'm from PJ. I said, no, I'm from Pudu Jail, which is, yeah, where they caught me and they put me in prison. And when I went to prison, uh, some guy, there was a guy named Mehran. He said, we should ask ourselves why we are here. I said, I know, this other guy reported where we are. I'll find him and I'll kill him. And then he said, no, God has brought us here. And I said to him, you talk to me about God? I studied the Quran, I studied Islam. I, have, I read uh, the Quran once every 10 days. I pray five times a day. What are you talking about? He says, no, I'm not talking about that God. And immediately what I was thinking is la ilaha illallah. There is no God but Allah. And I'm like, okay, if anyone claims that there is a God other than Allah, he's an infidel, his blood is holy, then I can kill him. But he has to profess it first. So I'm sitting, I get up and I said, which God are you talking about? And he says, Jesus. And he's not even finished with the Jesus. And I'm in the air trying to punch him. My brother grabs me and says to the guy, are you crazy? This guy, I'm his brother. He thinks I'm an infidel. He doesn't talk to me. He will kill you. And so I was like, oh, really upset and everything. I thought, I got to kill this guy. And then I remembered, no, I got to go to the United States and preach Islam to Christians. This is the first Christian I got to tell him about Islam. So I started telling him about Islam, but he didn't accept Islam. And I was so upset and I tried everything and it didn't work. And when it didn't work, I said, okay, now I got to kill him. <laughs> and so, I mean, the guy doesn't want to repent, you know, what do you do, you know? So uh, at that point, you know, it's just no good for nobody, you know? And so I thought to myself, how do I do these things? And I, I had gained the spiritual powers out of Islam. Uh, I had uh, gained the spiritual uh, powers from jinns, what they call jinn, genie, or a demonic realms of Islam. And uh, I would just cast these demons uh, out. You know, I would pray for anybody. Everybody in jail knew me. Uh, wanted somebody hurt, they would come to me. I would write a prayer and they would get hurt, you know? And so I'm thinking of that, and I'm wanting to increase my power so I can do something to this dude. And then one night as I'm praying and I'm reading the Quran, a spirit appears, and the moment that spirit appeared, I knew I'm in trouble. And I was like, oh no, this thing is here to take my life. But no worries, I'm a Muslim, I believe in Islam, I believe in Allah, and we say Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. So he will run away. And I say, in the name of Allah, who's merciful and gracious, and he will run away. It didn't. It came closer. I started professing that I believe in Allah. I believe in Muhammad. And it didn't make him go away. It came closer. At some point, I was choking. I was literally choking. And with the last breath, I just said, 
God help me. And I said the Farsi word, which means the Alpha or the one whom you look within. And the moment I said that, I heard a voice and that voice said, bring the name of Jesus. And that moment I really didn't think about it. I just opened my mouth and a sentence came out of my mouth that I had not formed. And that was, Jesus, if you are the truth, show me yourself. And before I was finished with the sentence, the spirit had ran away. And I'm thinking, okay. This doesn't make sense. We love Jesus as Muslims. We believe in prophet Jesus. He is one of the five greatest prophets amongst 124,000 prophets. And he is loved. He was born a Virgin Mary. He is born through Holy Spirit. You know, all these things. He, is the, he has got the two of the largest titles in the Quran. One is Kalamatullah, the, the word of Allah. And he is the spirit of Allah. So, uh, um, yes, he, but he's a prophet. And I spoke the name of Allah. This thing didn't run away. Why would he run away at the name of Jesus? And I thought to myself, this is not good. I remember my, my teachers, yeah, because they taught us not to ask questions. You see, Abraham had two sons, one Ishmaelite and one uh, the Isaacs, you know, the... Sons of Isaac. Now, uh, the Ishmaelites would not ask questions. We are taught not to ask questions. The Israelites, uh, they ask too many questions, you know. <laughs> Have you ever encountered a Jew? They ask so many questions. <laughs> I think they can learn a thing or two from the Ishmaelites. <laughs> it's like everything, so many questions. So anyways... Um, I thought to myself, my teachers told me never to ask questions because if you ask questions, you'll go crazy or you'll die. You'll go to hell. You'll become an infidel. And so I thought, uh, I'm not going to ask questions because I had asked my teacher, what are those questions that we should not ask? He didn't know what it is, but he told me not to ask, so I didn't ask. <laughs> At this point, I'm saying, this is one of those questions I shouldn't ask. The next day, I get up. And you know, uh, if you've been to a Muslim land, they do the prayer. Subhanallah, they sing the prayer to invite everybody to, to. I was the one that sang that. I was the one that called people to come to church, to the mosque to, to pray, sorry. And when I got up to, to sing that, and it says, Allahu Akbar. When I wanted to say that, when I said that, then I heard a voice that said, then why would Jesus help you? And I'm thinking, who was this? I jumped literally in that moment and I said, who is this? And I, that question didn't let me go for two weeks. If Allah is so merciful, if Allah is so great, if Muhammad is the last one, if Quran is the most powerful, then why would Jesus help you? And at some point, I couldn't stand it anymore. So I said, okay, I'm going to pray and fast because God is one and he's like the top of the mountain and you can climb different ways, but you get to the same peak. So maybe he has a different way, different path for me. So I said, hey, you know, show me the truth. I will believe. Show me the path. I will, I will follow. Just show me the way, you know. 
And for two weeks, I prayed that prayer, fasted, sat in one place, not moving. And then I would pass out, get up, and I would just do the same prayer. After two weeks, nothing, nothing, no answer, no sign. And I got a little bit upset with God. I actually, Persian style, you know, I just went freaked out. I said, that's it. You know, all my life I've tried to serve you. I was willing to die for you. I was willing to kill for you, and I've killed for you. I've done everything. I read the Quran. I do these things. You knew I love you. What does it matter what name I call you? Because you see the heart, and you knew I love you. And if it does matter, then why don't you tell me the name so I can call you in that name? But you came and confused me with the name of Jesus, and now you refuse to show me where I should go. So this is your fault. I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And if I die, if there is a judgment day, if there is a God, you cannot judge me because they say God is just. And this is your fault anyways. At that moment, a presence of God came into a room. A man stood in front of me which shunned like light. And the moment I saw him, I knew I'm in trouble because... Uh, all my life, I tried being righteous. Um, when you have something and you share in Islam, if you break your bread and your side happened to have one grain of wheat more than the one you offered the other person, this was your bread, but the other person is hungry. This is according to the teachings of Islam. You break it in half, you must give the other half. But if your side happens to be one grain heavier, then you have committed a sin. So I would physically always, when I wanted to share my food with hungry people, I would give the bigger portion so I wouldn't have to worry. I had done everything Islam had asked me to be a righteous man. But the moment I saw him, I knew that he is just and I am not. I knew no matter how much you pray, how much you fast, how many good things you do, you will never be righteous. You will never be just. And he is. And I knew he is holy. Now, holiness is something we go woe on to, but we don't know what it means. It has so many different perspectives. And part of holy is that makes you belong to him, but part of it confronts everything you have done that separated you from him. Everything, one more time, everything that you have done that separated you from him because you belong to him, is confronted by holiness. And I knew, I knew that because he's holy, he has to be, he has to kill me. I ran to the corner of the room and I cried out, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I knew there is no way he's going to forgive me. And I, I come from a Persian background. My father used to uh, forgive us by his belt or punches. 
And you are forgiven when you are crying out loud enough, then you're forgiven quicker. So less punches, less belt. But who's going to stand one hit from God and survive it? And I knew according to the Islam that I had committed the greatest sin. I had elevated myself. I said, I will make a decision. So I have elevated myself to the place of Allah. And there is only one thing that Allah does with those who have committed shirk. There, there is a partner equal to Allah, death. So I thought he's here to kill me. I didn't want to die, but I just cried. Forgive me, forgive me, but I didn't know there is hope because in all of Quran, there is not one place, one time, one example that Allah says, I forgive somebody and they know they are forgiven before they are dead. Not once. So I said, I said to myself, it's going to kill me. And he reaches out to me. He, he touches me on my left shoulder and he says, I forgive you. And the moment those words came out of his mouth and reached me, it penetrated through me and reached into the depths of my soul and body and everything within me. And he grabbed hold of everything that was unholy that had separated me from him. Everything. He just vanished. And I felt physically lighter. I knew beyond any shadow of doubt that I am forgiven. And I thought to myself, how do you forgive me? And I feel forgiven today. Who are you? Only God can forgive. But this is a different God than the one I know of. And I said, who are you? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I said, wow, what a crazy concept. You know, I said last night, the way normally is a direction. It's a path you walk, you know. Truth is something you measure. Life is a source. But he says, life, truth, way is a person. Is a person. It blow any Greek mind, a philosopher. <laughs> I said, this is very powerful, but I don't understand. I have never heard these words. I had no idea this was written in the Bible. I said, I don't understand. What's your name? And he says, Jesus Christ. And the moment he says, Jesus Christ, someone grabs all of the bone in my body, and I just follow my face. And I began to cry. And I cried for about two hours. And after two hours, he says, I should look up. And I look up. And I see like a TV screen of all the people in all the nations and generations. And I see them. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, they're all sinners. I can see their sins. I live among all these sinners. And he says to me, Afshin, how easy did I forgive you? I said, very easy. As easy as drinking water, because that's a Persian saying. That's the name of the book. And then I think to myself, no, 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 easier than drinking water. And he says, I can forgive every one of them as easy as I have forgiven you. 
but who's going to tell them? And the moment he said that, I raised my hand. I said, I will. And he says, okay, go. I'll be with you. I literally ran out of the room while Jesus was still standing in the room. <laughs> you laugh. I assume you laugh because you think that was a stupid. I should have stayed. Right? No, wrong. He said, go. He said, go. So why would I stand? I'm a soldier. You see, I said to you, this is time is of an essence. And I said, we should be sensitive in this season with the times. I ran out of the room because he had commanded me to go. Jesus doesn't give you a suggestion. His words are gentle, but nevertheless, those are the words of the king of king of universe. Yes, he is our Lord. Yes, he is our savior. Yes, he is our lover. Yes, he is the one that is willing to give his life for you and I, and he has done it. Yes, he is gentle. Yes, he doesn't shout. He doesn't make you afraid. He's not like other gods that you'll be afraid of the fire of hell. He's not doing that. But when he speaks, I assure you, those are the words of an eternal God. And when he said, go, I just ran. I, I, you know, in the United States, you know, it's funny because God has always a sense of humor. I was born in Iran. <laughs> so I ran to the mosque and I was like so happy. I'm the mosque leader. I always teach them about the Quran. So I'm like, all the Muslims, all my brothers, they pray and they ask, show me the path that is a straight. And now I have found who's the path. For the first time, I have the answer. We pray, God, forgive us. Forgive us and forgive us and forgive us. But we don't know as Muslims if we are forgiven till the day of judgment. But now I know Jesus will forgive you. You don't need to wait till the day of judgment. And I'm so excited. I run to the mosque and they come to me. They surround me. Oh, brother Afshin, what are you going to teach us from the Quran, from the Hadith? And I said, no, no, no. Forget Allah. Forget Muhammad. Forget the Quran. <laughs> I just saw Jesus Christ. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he can forgive all of you. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to tell them they're all going to follow me. And they did, honestly. But in a different way. I was running and they were like, ah! <laughs> and I was wondering, why? I thought they'd be happy. <laughs> a 
I'm not a person that learns my lessons very well, so I've done a few mosques in my life. <laughs> they seem to have the same reaction. They have become so predictable. <laughs> um, it's been an exciting life with Jesus Christ. I want to give you a couple of stories that is very beautiful. Uh, I came to Canada, and the first day I saw my mom and dad. My father's name is Muhammad, like the Prophet Muhammad. So, and I came there. I was so excited. I had not seen my father and my family for a few years. And the first thing I did was I shared the gospel with them. I told them about Jesus Christ. My father said, you believe in Jesus? A friend of him who is from Iran, he says, oh, man, grow your beard white and celebrate. You become the elder in the city in a sarcastic way, meaning shame upon you. Your son has become uh, a Christian. And my father at that walked into the kitchen, picked up a butcher knife and ran after me. And people say, how did you survive? I said, I run faster than my father. They couldn't catch up. And my father considers himself a moderate Muslim. I came back home later on when he was calmed down and I shared the gospel again with him. <laughs> and this kept happening for a short while. To be exact, about 11 years. But then my mother gave her life to Jesus. My mom was in the church, and my dad came to the church, and the pastor was teaching some false garbage, according to my dad. My dad said, this, I needed to expose this guy, because he was teaching, you need to forgive your enemy. If someone slapped you in the right ear, turn the other side, you know, no. You hand for a hand, eye for an eye. And I was going to just show him. That's, that's a false teaching, and deliver all these people, you know. And then he went, he said, but I have to find out more about these teachings before I go there. And then at some point, the Lord confronts him and says, how many, how many times have you fought? How many times have you beaten people? What have you accomplished? Injustice that you know, eye for an eye, what... When were you in celebration? He was confronted. And he remembered many years earlier, he had been in a park in the United States, and we needed really badly money in Pakistan. And he said, Jesus, this is your land. This is your country. Most Muslims consider the United States or the West a Christian country. They said, this is your land. Can you help my family? And Give me a sign if you listen to me. And he said, the bush made a sound. And he said, ah, I don't think so. They looked into the bush, nothing. And he says, no, you know, uh, give me a sign. And the bush moved again. And he went into the bush, looked, and nothing happened. And he says, uh, give me a sign. And the bush moved again. He said, look, you know, I need money, you know. Uh, I need to send $500 for my family. They need it. He came sat in the bench, uh, bench that he was sitting, and beside him was a gold chain. 
which he took to the pawn shop, and it was $500. He remembered that. He gave his life to Jesus. My younger brother, Abbas, uh, Amir Abbas, he uh, came to me and he tattooed the name of Allah on his body to prove that he's a Muslim. And he got into a fight and in that fight, he stabbed somebody five, seven times in front of 150 people. So they charged him with attempted murder, first degree because he stabbed the guy in two separate events. He goes to jail and he's sitting in jail. My mom brings him a Bible. He throws the Bible and says, I'm a Muslim. And then my dad says, hey, you stupid, I'll, I'll kill you when you come, you disrespect your mom like that. I'm a Christian, but you know, we're still Iranians. <laughs> you know? And so, you don't want to read the, in the Bible, you don't read it, but you, you receive what your mom gives you. And so he said, okay, you know. <laughs> so he took the Bible, he went, he couldn't sleep. And then he opened the Bible and it was his life story. And then suddenly he said, there was a presence that came and the bed tilted over. Jesus sat beside him. He gave his life to Jesus. Our whole family has given their life to Jesus. Now we are working on the cousins. My father has a small family, 10 brothers, eight sisters, so we have a lot of work. I have 84 cousins, first cousins, and that's only my father's side, you know. So uh, the harvest is plentiful. I tell you this. One of my cousins in Iran, he was running a house of prostitution and selling drugs. And he was planning to kill his uh, father-in-law because the father-in-law kept encouraging the daughter to divorce him because he's a drug dealer, he's not a nice guy. And so he picks up the knife and he's gonna go. My mom happens to be in Iran at that time. And my mom is a short woman, really short woman, grabs this guy and he's a big guy, grabs him and she's like, what are you doing, auntie? And she says, the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. And she says, let me go. I got to go kill this guy. She says, peace of Christ. Peace of Christ. And then at some point, he says, okay, just auntie, let me go. I, I, okay, I won't go right now. And then he goes a couple of steps and he says, I want to go sleep. And goes to sleep. And he gets up. And he's, he goes to the bathroom, he eats something, and he says, I gotta go back to sleep. He goes to sleep. For three days, he does that. After three days, he gets up, he says, I forgot something. Ah, oh yeah, I wanted to kill my father-in-law. What happened? And wait a minute, I haven't used any drugs. I haven't used the peace of Christ. He calls my mom and says, how can I give my life to Jesus? He gives his life to Jesus. And he calls me. And then he makes his prostitutes call me. And I share with them the Jesus. And they gave their life to Jesus. The police arrested him. Not because he was a drug dealer, but because he had become a Christian. 
They threw him in jail. And there he met other Christians in underground jails in Iran. And he said there was a bodybuilder, a big guy that loved Jesus. And they would beat him. And when they were beating him, he cried out, Father, thank you for the privilege of being tortured and beaten for you. Jesus, thank you for the privilege of being beaten for you. And they said, oh, that's a privilege. We'll beat you some more. And he cried louder. At some point, the rest of the, the prisoners who were Christians, they're like, we don't want you to give him all the privilege. We want that privilege too. So they took my cousin, Mustafa, for two months. They would beat him. And he said, after they would beat me, I'd get up and I'd say, thank you. And the guy said, you stupid. He says, no, you know, Allah tells you to beat me. You should be happy. You're pleased. Your God. My God says, blessed are you when you are tortured for my sake. I'm blessed. You are blessed. So why are you upset? <laughs> I have my phone ring one day. Somebody calls me and I said, yes. And he says, and this is Muhammad. I said, which Muhammad? I mean, <laughs> there's so many of them. He said, I know your cousin Mustafa. I said, where is he? For two months, we don't know where he is. He's in jail, in an underground jail, because he's Christian. He said, how do you know? He says, I'm the soldier that tortured him for two months. I kept beating him, but he kept thanking me and smiling and showing me love. And I, no matter how much I do this, I don't feel Allah is ever going to be pleased with me. So can I give my life to Jesus and know that he's pleased with me? So of course. I want to wrap up. I got lots of crazy stories. Because we got a crazy God. <clears throat> I told Ben in the last couple of months, we, we were in Turkey and sharing the gospel. One of our leaders was deported to Iran because the, the Turkish government helps the Iranian government. And one of the other leaders that we had got shot in the head. We don't have website. You won't find a website on our ministry. We don't do these things. So we're doing the uh, ministry in 21st century, but first century style. No technology. Just meet, sit on the floors, eat with people, and pray and share the love of Jesus. But... The craziest event that has happened to me is when we took 37 Iranians on the 37 year of anniversary of uh, Islamic Revolution to Israel. I mean, you should have seen the borders. At the <laughs> They're like, what the heck is happening? Iranians, what are they doing here? And these Iranians all said the same thing. We love you. And we had uh, carved uh, the picture of Cyrus the Great when he sent them free 
in the book of Ezra. We carved that in a piece of wood and we gave gold and silver and we said, we are sons of Cyrus. We, are, we were your friends for 2,500 years. For past 37 years, our government has said a lot of things against you, but we have come to repent and apologize for 37 years and remind you of our friendship for 2,500 years. At that, the Jews on the street literally began to weep. They grabbed us, they set us in chairs, they took our shoes off, took our socks, they washed our feet, and they said, forgive us for not, not thanking you for 2,500 years of friendship and hospitality. And we forgive you for the past 37 years. You know, the Jews, they see us, and the Israeli government, you know, I mean, I love the fact that a lot of the Christians in North America or in other places, they love the Jews. But I've seen when we, the Muslim background believers, share the gospel, share the love of Jesus Christ with the Jews, something shifts. Something shifts. When I was in Israel, they knew. They said, we will put you on TV. I said, sure. I shared my testimony. I shared why I love Israel. And you know what? They know that every Muslim background that says I love Israel is sentenced to death by all the other Muslims. And what greater love than a man lays his life for his friend, in my case, for my brother. Isaac, because we are brothers. We have the same father. He is chosen, and I have absolutely no issue with that. I love that. I praise that the fact that the father in heaven chose him, and I bless him. But Father Abraham wants Isaac and Ishmael together. Right. You know, we are doing crazy things. We go and we see things, you know, in, right now it's the month of Ramadan, it's the fasting month for the Muslims. I want to challenge you to something. Muslims pray before the sunrise, and then at noon, then afternoon, then before sunsets, and then after sunset, five times a day. But they, since they pray according to the sun, there is a non-stop prayer around the earth of the praise and worship of Allah. But not a 24-hour prayer, because there are five groups of people that keep joining the other group. So there is 120 hours worth of prayer offered to Allah every 24 hours. Worthy is the lamb? That should be done for our Lord. I was praying last night. I said, Lord, what do you want me to share with this group? And I felt the Lord is saying, I have already called you. I've already done what I needed to do. 
And if you are waiting for him to smack you over the head or hit you or threaten you to, with the fires of hell, he's not going to do that. But if you give yourself to bickering, complaining, you're wasting precious time. You're wasting precious time. While we are sitting and bickering and being self-centered, I mean, I, come on, everybody says, yeah, I want to be blessed financially, this, that. I haven't seen many Christians saying, I want to be blessed. You know, when Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. And we are missing that blessing in the church. You know how many times in the churches people leave a church or they start a huge war. Because so and so said so and so about me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I'm looking at them. My, my friends are saying, pastors, you know, in the Western church are saying, Oh, brother, pray for me. You know, one of the elders, you know, said this. Oh, one of the people came to one of the elders that said, Oh, you're wearing a mask. Oh, you're supporting the government. And now my elder is leaving the church. I'm like, what? I'm like, they should be really grateful that you are their pastor. Why? Because I would have smacked the guy. I believe sometimes the spirit of stupid leaves that way. <laughs> and I believe sometimes God says, when you do good things, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. <laughs> there is a reason in there. A deeper revelation. <laughs> Honestly, my brothers and sisters, if you have the love of Jesus Christ, would you offer it to someone in need? If you have the river of life, would you offer it to someone thirsty? Every day, you're seeing Iranian Christians, Afghan Christians, we see Syrian Christians, Iraqi Christians being persecuted. When we are sitting here, and they are praying for the peace of Israel. There is something. I want to challenge you not to hold back from Jesus. He didn't hold anything. I'm not here to say anything that I have. The only thing that I have that is good is him. And you have equal partnership in what I have. Would you just offer up more of your life? Make yourself more available. He deserves all of you. He didn't die for part of you. He died so he can have all of you. I love you guys. Thank you for your time. Bless you.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.